0: Privilege to introduce Garden Chapel's Easter presentation, titled "The Epic Battle."
1: I am known by many names: Lucifer, the Prince of the Power of the Air, an Angel of Light, a Roaring Lion, the Great Dragon the serpent, Satan, or the devil. Like you, I am a created being. At one time, I was the most beautiful of all the angels, but I was not satisfied with my standing. I wanted to be like the Most High God. Therefore, the creator of the universe cast me and a host of other angels that I had convinced to follow me out of heaven. I am now restrained to the world and all that is in it. This is my domain, temporarily, at least, for now. Understand this. God also created two humans, Adam and Eve, and they were the beginning of the human race. They were innocent and without sin. The Creator placed them in the Garden of Eden, shortly thereafter, I came to Eve in the form of a serpent. I enticed her to eat of the fruit from the one tree that God had specifically forbid the humans to eat from. It really didn't take too much to convince Eve to eat the fruit. In fact, it was Eve who got Adam to eat of the fruit as well. (laughs) It was almost too easy. Oh, well, In one short moment of time, perfect little Adam and Eve were now sinners who had defied God's law thanks to my doing. (laughs) God went looking for Adam and Eve and found them hiding from him. He knew exactly what they had done. God then pronounced judgment on all of us. And oddly enough, only mankind was offered a means of salvation. A Savior would one day be born through the sea of the woman. God said that I would bruise the heel of the woman's offspring, but I would not be able to deliver a fatal blow. Yet this deliverer of mankind would in turn crush my head, and it truly would be a fatal blow to me. I understood at that moment that there was no redemption for me and my kind. I learned that my end would be a place of torment known as the lake of fire. So be it. But I vowed right then and there that if I do not manage to avoid this misery in the end, I will do everything in my power to take as many of his beloved humans with me down to the fiery pit. And so it began, the war of the ages. The offspring promised to the woman continued from generation to generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and so on ad nauseum this messianic line went on. I tried my best to avert God's plan to keep the offspring from doing me in, but the closest I came to destroying all of mankind was in Noah's day. I had managed to corrupt practically the whole earth. God was greatly displeased with the wickedness of mankind. In fact, It even grieved him that he had made man. I thought I had been completely successful. But God decided that although he would destroy the earth and all its inhabitants with a flood, he would save Noah, a righteous man, and his immediate family. Eight people! I had managed to get my can down to just eight people! I was so close to the total extermination of those wretched little vermin. And yes, from out of eight people, the line of the promised deliverer continued down through history. And one day, a young virgin, a peasant girl, conceived a child by the Holy Spirit of God. I was stunned. My time was running out. The promised one was now here. This Jesus, the Son of God, was now born in human flesh. The night he was born, I knew exactly who he was. I saw the myriad of angels in the sky announcing his birth to those lowly, smelly shepherds. I watched on as the wise men came from the east to worship him. It was time to get serious about the war. Then I had an idea. King Herod. He was merciless, and he was king of the Jews at the time. Certainly this Jesus would be a threat to his power, so I gently suggested to him that it might be a good idea to have all the baby boys, two years old and younger, killed. Oh, sure, it was a cruel thing to do, But it was my best shot at destroying this promised Messiah, this Redeemer of men. But God had managed to whisk the child away to Egypt before Herod decided to take my advice. I was outwitted. The Savior of mankind had survived. The child grew and at age 30 began an earthly ministry. Disqualification. That's what I would do. If he bowed to me, he would lose, and I would win. It worked for the first man. Why not try it again? But he was resolute. I tried tempting Jesus even after he had fasted in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. None of my temptations could pry him away from his devotion to his Father's word. I had never met such a foe before or since. He seemed, well, invincible. When he began his ministry, he picked twelve men to be his disciples. Eleven of them were faithful followers and believed him to be the Messiah. But the twelfth, Judas was interested in only what Jesus could do for him. Oh, on the outside he looked like the rest, but Judas was one of mine. He was the bookkeeper. You see, his love for money was his weakness. It made him willing to betray Jesus, and for only 30 pieces of silver he was willing to betray his master. He agreed to signal to the chief priest with a kiss on the cheek which one was Jesus. These religious leaders were the very ones who incited the people to call for the crucifixion of the very Messiah they had been waiting for. Oh, the irony was almost too much to handle. It was precious. I would get them to destroy him by having him nailed to a wooden cross Yes, it would change my destiny.
2: Again, my two small sons, they walk beside me on the road, the reason that they came is to watch
3: the land.
2: I said, dear children, watch the Lamb. There will be so many in Jerusalem today. We must be sure the Lamb doesn't run away. So I told them of Moses. Father Abraham, and then I said, Dear children, watch the land when we reached the city I knew something must be wrong. There were no joyful worshipers, no joyful worship songs. I stood there with my children in the midst of angry men, and then I heard the crowd cry out, crucify him. We tried to leave the city, but we could not get away to play in this drama a part I did not wish to play why upon this day were men condemned to die and why were we standing here for soon they will pass by I looked and I said even now they come first one cried for mercy the people gave him none the second one was violent he was arrogant and loud and I can still hear his angry voice screaming at the crowd then someone said there's Jesus scarce believe my eyes A man so badly beaten He barely looked alive Blood poured from his body From the thorns upon his brow Running down the cross And falling to the ground I watched him as he struggled, I watched him as he fell, the cross came down upon his back, the crowd began to yell, in that moment, I felt such agony, in that moment, I felt such loss, until a Roman soldier grabbed my arm and he screamed, you! tried to resist him but then his hand reached for a sword so I knelt and I took the cross from the Lord I placed it on my shoulder and I started down the street the blood that he'd been shedding was running down my cheek They led us to Golgotha They drove nails deep in His feet and hands And yet upon the cross I heard Him say Father, forgive them Oh, never have I seen such love In any other eyes Into Thy hands I commend my spirit He prayed, and then he died. Stood there for what seemed like years. I'd lost all sense of time. Until I felt two tiny hands holding tight to mine. My children stood there weeping. I heard the oldest say, Father, please forgive us. The lamb ran away. Daddy, daddy, what have we seen here? There's so much we don't understand. So I took them in my arms and turned and faced the cross and then I said dear children watch the lamb
1: Jesus had been crucified and put in a tomb, and it was essential that he stay there. He made it clear that after three days he intended to rise from the dead. Now the religious leaders were very effective in putting him in the tomb. Hopefully they would be just as effective in keeping him there. Oh, as a note of interest, Down through the history, I have found that my will can be done very effectively if I manage to infiltrate an organization. Just change the truth ever so slightly, and most will not notice. You see, religion is a very dear subject to these men. There are so many people who hold fast to some form of religion, you know good works, and all that sort of garbage. They genuinely believe that they could somehow ensure their entrance into heaven by bribing God with all of their human effort. Ha! Little do they understand the magnitude of God, his immensity, his demands, his holiness. Let me share a little secret with you. In reality, all they really need to do is trust in the finished work of this deliverer, this Jesus. You act surprised. Of course I know what the gospel is. I used the religious leaders of Jesus' day to accomplish my work. And they didn't even know they were pawns in my hands. And tradition, religion, works, human merit, they're all still very useful means of distracting and deceiving people even to this day.
4: There was a man named Jesus, held in high esteem by many, believing he was the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior of mankind. It's true that he performed many signs and miracles and wonders that we really couldn't explain how he did them or where his power came from. There was no way that he was of God, much less God himself, born in the flesh. Besides, we all knew he was the illegitimate son of Joseph and Mary. Still, many saw him as the Redeemer. He was truly a threat to all of us in the upper religious circle. But we would not be deceived by his ability to perform the miraculous, much less by his teaching. However... There were many who were deceived and followed him. That's why it was essential that we got rid of him. Our opportunity came when Judas, one of his inner circle, agreed to betray him. He was taken to Caiaphas. The chief priest, the high priest, and the whole council were assembled. We managed to obtain testimony against him, although I admit some of it was quite questionable. Still... We determined that he had committed blasphemy when he said he was the Christ, the Son of God. That's all we needed to hear. And we decided he was deserving of death. After that, he was taken to Pilate, since we didn't have the authority ourselves to put him to death. But Pilate made us a little nervous. He really didn't believe what Jesus had done was deserving of death. Even Pilate's wife tried to convince her husband not to have anything to do with this man because of a disturbing dream she had had the night before. She believed Jesus to be a righteous man. Now, at the feast, there was a custom that one prisoner should be released, decided by the people. Pilate offered to release Jesus, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas instead, a notorious felon. Seeing that a riot was about to start, Pilate's hands were tied. Pilate took water and washed his hands in front of the multitudes and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. Jesus was scourged and delivered up to be crucified. A crown of thorns was placed on his head and a scarlet robe was put on his back. He was crucified along with two thieves at a place called Golgotha. After he died, Joseph of Arimathea, also a member of the council and also a secret follower of Jesus, offered his tomb up for Jesus' burial. The tomb was new and had been hewn out of rock. A large stone was rolled against the entrance. But we were afraid about the prophetic statement that Jesus, the deceiver, had made. ...that after three days he would rise again. So we went to Pilate and voiced our concerns. We were afraid that Jesus' disciples would come and steal his body away... ...and say to the people, "...He has risen from the grave!" And the last deception would be worse than the first. So Pilate gave us a guard, and with the guard we set a seal on the stone... That should take care of any ploy to make it look like he rose from the grave.
1: Can you believe that many people actually think they're too good to meet a Savior? Unbelievable! Conversely, there are also those whose lives are so dysfunctional that they feel they're too unworthy for salvation. These people tend to be your social outcasts, just general all-around low-lifes, criminals, prostitutes, adulterers. You probably think I'm actively involved with maintaining the whole vile lot. Well, actually, I'm not. This group makes my life a breeze. I don't have to prompt them to sin or rebel. They do that very well on their own, thank you. They are the least of my concerns. However, once in a while, some of these misfits managed to slip out of my clutches. And such was the case with a certain Mary Magdalene. Seven of my best demons tormented that poor excuse for a woman. But then that Jesus reached down to her and she took his hand and he saved her from this hellish life on earth. Right out of my hands. And worst of all, it was she who discovered the empty tomb. The empty tomb of resurrection that sealed my fate forever
5: i am mary from magdala but most refer to me as mary magdalene until i met jesus my life was a mess I was controlled by seven demons, and my suffering was extremely severe. I'm sure that the first time Jesus laid eyes on me, he was appalled at my appearance. My disheveled hair, my glaring eyes, my sunken cheeks. I was deranged. My mind controlled by demons. Many other women of my same state went insane or committed suicide. But one day... Jesus' eyes laid hold of me, and his authoritative voice commanded the demons to come out and stay out. My deranged and nerve-wracked mind suddenly became tranquil, and my sanity returned. My faith in Jesus, the deliverer, was instant, and I became a devoted follower. Saved from the power of hell, I gave my life to the Master. I, along with many of the other women, We were able to financially support the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. We did whatever we could to further his kingdom. But then, one day, the unthinkable happened. Judas betrayed Jesus, and he was arrested. I and the other women were at the mock trial. We were in Pilate's Hall, and we saw and heard the religious leaders clamoring for his death. I watched and wept as he was ill-treated and spat upon by the bloodthirsty crowd. I watched in horror as he was led out to Calvary and nailed to a cross. It was horrible to watch him suffer. And as he hung there, the hours that passed seemed endless. The whole earth was dark from about noon till three. It was so eerie. And then he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama which is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he breathed his last breath and died. I and a few others were the last to leave. Jesus was dead. And the sorrow was overwhelming. Joseph, a rich man and also a believer, he asked Pilate for Jesus' body so that it might be laid in his own new tomb. Our spirits were crushed. And the disciples, they were fearful and hid. So at the dawn of the first day of the next week, I and the other Mary, the mother of James and Salome, we went down to the tomb. We took spices to anoint Jesus. And we had been discussing on the way down who would roll away the stone from the entrance. But when we got there, the stone had already been rolled away. As we went into the tomb, we saw a man sitting inside in all white. We were amazed and fearful. And he said to us, Do not be afraid for you are looking for Jesus. He is not here. He has risen. Go, tell the disciples that he has gone before them into Galilee. Later, I returned to the tomb, and a man who I assumed was the gardener asked me, Woman, why do you weep? And I said, If you have taken his body, please tell me where you have laid him so that I might take him. And then he said, Mary. And that old familiar voice, it gripped my heart. I knew it was him. I cried out, Rabbi! I was the first to see his resurrection. I ran as fast as I could to go tell the disciples, I have seen the Lord.
1: Magdalene began to tell everyone that Jesus had risen. I had to act before many believed. I made sure that the soldiers who guarded the tomb would claim that they had slept while the body was stolen. And so the deception continues to this day. Down through the ages, I have continued to deceive the so-called righteous, into believing that they don't need a Savior. And I continue to convince the so-called wicked of society into believing that they are well beyond redemption. And little do either understand the power of the cross and the sinless substitute that Christ was for them. I understand its power. The freedom for those who believe and the condemnation for those who will not. And so it is that all men are fools. They believe what they wish so they don't have to confront the truth of the cross. Like the soldiers, they would rather believe a lie rather than face the truth. So you see, in a way... My deception is a kindness to men. I help them escape their pain. Until it's too late, then they are mine forever. Yes, it's true. Jesus did rise from the tomb on a third day, but I am not giving up yet. As long as there are men on the earth, I will continue. Continue to deceive their weak hearts. They will follow me and not him. And in the end, if I should be condemned, then know this. I will take with me as many as possible who are created in his image.
6: expanse of a timeless place where silence ruled the outer space. Ominously towering it stood, the symbol of a spirit war between the one named Lucifer and the morning star, the ultimate of good. Enveloped in a trillion planets, clean as light and hard as The war! squealed with glee as a sordid, vulgar, repulsive essence was felt. Arrogantly prancing, hands held high, draped in a sparkling shroud, Satan ascended from hell. Then Satan cringed, the sinners groaned, the demons reeled in pain, as a swell of power fears. Then he pointed his finger at Satan and said, and I know you know the rules. You've been twisting them to deceive my people for years. Satan cried, I'll kill you Christ. You'll never win this fight. The demons wheezed, that's right. There ain't no way. Satan jeered, you're deadbeat Jesus. I'm gonna bust you up tonight. Jesus said, go ahead make my day. Perplexed as wounds appeared upon his hands and feet. Then Satan kicked him in his side. And blood and water flowed. And they waited for the ten counts of defeat. God the Father turned his head. His tears announcing Christ was dead. The ten count would proclaim the battle's end. Then Satan trembled. Through his sweat, in unexpected horror, yet as God started to count by saying, Ten. Hey, where is it, God? Nine. Stop, you're counting wrong. Eight. His eyes are moving. Seven. His fingers are twitching. Six. He's almost this welcome? Five. He's alone. Four. He's alone. Three. Oh, yes. Two. Three, two
3: yes. One.
0: man, we are victorious, and there's no doubt about that, and I have, yeah, amen to that. I have the privilege of spending just a few minutes sharing what God's book says about the Easter story. You've heard the Easter story with your ears. You've seen it with your eyes, and what an awesome privilege that is, and I just hope that this, what I read to you from Luke, it penetrates your heart and changes uh, the direction you've been going if you're not traveling with Christ. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 to 12 says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel, And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings. Only he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. Let's come before the Lord and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for God's word. And I just pray that it penetrates a heart here that maybe has been hard to the truth. A heart here that is here searching, but isn't quite sure what they're searching for. And I just pray that you call your children to yourself right now. And I pray if there's someone here that does know you, but their life's just been so crowded with stuff that they've forgotten the Easter story, or they pushed the hope found in in your death, burial, and resurrection so far that it's not even on the horizon. And I just pray that you bring them into your fold, bring them back under your uh, care and, and your love, and help us all, every person here, to leave here, change people a little more in your image. And I just pray that that takes place uh, by the Holy Spirit that's present in this room. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you just heard the greatest story ever told. Unquestionably life-changing, world-altering, and choice-creating. It is the greatest story ever revealed to mankind, and the challenge this morning is what are you going to do with it? Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14 says, You were dead, separated from God, because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. If you're going to get the Easter story, you need to first get who is Christ. And Christ is is God's son. Christ is perfection. He's the perfect sacrifice. A lot of times we focus in on the cross and we got to do that. We have to understand the cross. But we first have to understand who it was that was nailed on the cross. You see, hundreds if not thousands have had spikes driven through their wrists, spikes driven through their feet, but they were not God's son. Others have suffered, but they were not perfection, and they were not a sacrifice for my sin and your sin for all eternity past and all eternity future. If you're going to understand Easter, you've got to first leave here understanding Jesus Christ God himself, God, God the Son, coming down to pay a price you and I could never pay on the cross. And a second question I would have, if I'm you sitting here, not understanding the Easter story fully, is why all this focus on death and blood? Why all this focus on the crucifixion? And for you to get the blood, for you to understand the cross you got to understand your sin debt. You see, God is perfect and holy, and we can't get to God on our own. If we could get to God on our own without the Christ, everything you've heard is pointless and, in one word, futile. But that's not the case. See, we cannot get to God on our own merit. You and I, we have sin. Romans 3.23 makes that clear. All sin. But that's not the challenge. Every person in here, whether you're five or 105, I think that gets everyone, understands they've lied, maybe a little lie. Everyone understands that they've walked out a giant with maybe too much change, and they're like, I'm just not going back. I know everyone here has had a lustful thought that they haven't captured and given over to the Lord. And everyone here, if we're going to be honest, has coveted something not theirs. So sin, I think we get. I think where Satan's number one deception is, is the consequences of that sin. And the Bible is so very clear that sin separates us from a perfect and holy God. Romans 3.23, the rest of the verse is all of sin. And a result of that sin is we fall short of the glory of God. If you don't hear anything else that I say, I want you to hear this. You're not neutral when it comes to this epic battle that you just saw illustrated. The lines have been drawn, the battles, the battle uh, armies are are laid out. This is neat. In the Old Testament, uh, when they'd go to battle, there would be an army on a hill, a valley, and then another army on the hill. And you see that repeated over and over in the Old Testament. In this case, God clearly is on one hill. Satan clearly on another. The battle line's drawn. And there's not a person in this room that's in the valley in between. You're either on God's side or you're on Satan's side. But you are not neutral. See, the Bible makes this clear, that you're born separated from God. Quite frankly, that puts you on the wrong team, okay? See, God says so clearly that we're born dead to spiritual things. Spiritually dead. And that's why Christ had to come to take the cross. That's why Christ had to be God's son, had to be perfection, and had to shed his righteous and perfect blood. And that leaves us with the choice. Are we going to place our sin debt on the only one? that can handle it the only one that can pay the price and i hope that when you came in here you can say without a shadow of a doubt that my sins are placed on the only one that can handle the burden of of unrighteousness and that's christ if you came in here thinking that well i'm a good person but i don't need all this religious mumbo jumbo you're not neutral You're not just going through. You're on the wrong team, and there's eternal consequences for that. God makes it so clear. We come to Him through believing and trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ. There's probably someone here that came in with a burden on their shoulders, a burden they can't handle. And we've talked about Jesus' death. We've talked about Jesus' burial. And I haven't spent a lot of time talking about Jesus' resurrection. And I don't know many of you personally, and I certainly don't know your intimate situations, but what I can tell you is the tomb's empty, that Christ has risen. And I hope that when you leave through these doors, you have the hope and the life and the purpose of a risen Savior. Uh, Yesterday uh, morning when I was coming down after sleeping, Johnny did something that he does all the time. And for some reason, the Lord just hammered me with this. Just it's not an, uh, an out there illustration. But my two girls, that can go down the steps on their own, just go down the steps. And as I do every morning that I'm at home, is I'll turn around and Johnny just jumps off that first step. I'm two or three steps down and just jumps into my arms. And there's not a thought that I'm going to drop him. There's not a thought that I can't handle it. There's not a thought of lacking in trust or faith. He just leaps. See, it's not a blind leap. He's investigated the truth, And he knows I can handle him. I can't handle your sin, either can Pastor Paul, either can any other human being on planet earth. But the one that can is Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, he is calling out to you, the Holy Spirit screaming to you to give your burden over to him. if you haven't trusted in him, I pray you first give him your sin burden and second, if you're here and you're like man, I trust in Christ, but I got this weight on me I can't handle. Don't leave here without giving it to the only one that has defeated death, that has defeated Satan, has defeated sin and he can defeat the burden that you walked into this room with. If you came in in your own power, walk out in the arms of Christ. He can handle you and he can handle whatever you brought into this room. I hope that's the hope that you have. First, eternal life. There's an epic battle going on. Make sure you're right with God. You're not neutral. Get right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit works in a heart that's searching for you. Just grab that heart and transform it. I pray for the person that came in here that knows you, that's got a burden, that's just crushing them. I just pray that they give it to you and they walk out of here with some freedom. I pray for the singers that are going to come up and just give, you, give God's word to us one more time through song. Bless them. And I just pray that through this song, through the time, through the power of, of music, that hearts are changed in the next few minutes. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming to Garden Chapel's Easter presentation. I hope uh, that the Holy Spirit spoke to you in a powerful way through the song, through the drama, through the monologue, and through God's Word. If you'd stand, I'll close in a word of prayer. And I invite you guys back next week for the start of the God Questions campaign. Please pray with me as I pray publicly. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you offer your invitation of life to all your creation. I pray if someone here hasn't, hasn't reached for you, if someone here hasn't heard your call for their eternal destiny, I just pray that you penetrate their hearts before they walk through these doors and the busyness of life just gulps them up. I do pray for that person here that's just hurting and i just pray that the burden's released at the foot of the cross the only place that the burden can be can be laid and i thank you for allowing us to be a part of your work and pray that each person here takes that seriously and goes out telling the truth and living the truth in all aspects of their life and i pray these things in jesus name amen thank you for coming you are dismissed